by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to begin in, in verse 30. Did you know today is the day that we take up our... Uh, world missions pledges for the year we do this once a year <clears throat> and and we make our pledges uh what we pledge to give to our world missionaries for the year and we'll do that later on in the service matthew fifteen thirty reads then great multitudes came to him of course we're talking about jesus having with them the lame Blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Isn't that what Jesus came to do? Is to glorify his Father? Isn't that what everything that he did in his life was to that end that he might glorify the Father. Sort of an example to us. And in doing these things, helping the mute to speak and the maimed to be made whole and the lame to walk and the blind to see, it glorifies God. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and he said, I have compassion on the multitude. Say compassion on the multitude. Do you have compassion on the multitude? I mean, that's easy to leave out of our Christianity, isn't it? It's like, no, you know, my four, no more. Gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. It's just about me and and mine. You know, I ain't got time to think about the world. It's a big world out there, and I'm not in charge of it, so I don't have compassion on the multitude. But Jesus did, though he limited himself to one body just like we were. He said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me for three days and have nothing to eat. He was worried about their belly. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Say faint on the way. It's a big old world we're living in. You have only to cut on the news to see people fainting along the way. Starving children and all around the world, war-torn countries right now, uh, surviving under brutal dictators, economies collapsing. You know the things going on. You don't need me to remind you. And just the, the hearing of it here in America, just us hearing of it causes some of us to want to faint along the way. Along the way of what? Along the way of our journey in this life. And this scripture tells us that Jesus is concerned about the multitudes. He has compassion on them. He cares about everyone. Maybe close to 7 billion people here on planet earth. 
and he cares about them all. And he doesn't want anybody to faint along the way. He wants them to be strengthened and nourished. We talked about how he's healed body, soul, and spirit. He's a healer. He's a server. He's a lover. And today we see that he is a giver. There's a preacher from Boston. Say Boston. A preacher from Boston named Dr. S.D. Gordon. One day he came to the pulpit and he had a rusty old bird cage sitting on a little stand next to the pulpit. He told this story. He said, I was walking along the streets and and along comes this little boy, probably 10 years old. He's unkept. He's muddy. Looked like he'd been playing in the sewer all day. But he's got this rusty bird cage. And in the bottom of that cage that he's swinging around and torturing these little birds, there's some disheveled little sparrows shivering at the bottom. And so the preacher from Boston, he said, what are you going to do with those birds? Oh, I'm just playing with them, making fun of them, poking at them, you know, just having fun. He said, where'd you get them? He said, I caught them. He said, what you going to do when you get through playing with them? Kid thought, I don't know. My cat likes to eat them. I'll probably just bring them home. He said, son, let me buy that birdcage and those birds from you. He said, mister, you don't want these ugly little birds. They can't even sing. They're cheap. I mean, I just, I caught them. They ain't worth nothing. And that preacher pulled out his wallet and gave him all the cash that he had, everything he had in his wallet, and offered it to the little boy. And the boy snatched it up. He gave him that birdcage, and he ran off before that man changed his mind. And there on the back streets of Boston, the preacher says, I opened up that narrow gate on the birdcage and I coaxed the little birds to fly to their freedom why do I tell this story I don't know <laughs> but maybe we'll find out later right but I do know, do know that in Matthew ten twenty nine, Jesus says what is the price of two sparrows one copper coin that's not much is it but he says, not a single sparrow falls to the ground without your father knowing it. Not one little sparrow. Even though they're cheap, they're ugly, they can't sing good, they offer very little to society, not one of them falls to the ground without your father knowing about it. I think then the scripture goes on to say what? That aren't we much more valuable than the sparrows. Today's message, I'm going to call it Sparing Sparrows. Sparing Sparrows. Because I see that Jesus lived to spare the sparrows. I see that Jesus valued the sparrows. He couldn't stand to see the sparrows fainting along the way. He wanted to open the narrow gate and let them fly to freedom. Jesus was the ultimate giver. He gave his life to, quite frankly, to us who neither cared or deserved it. He gave his, he gave his life. What more can a man give? He gave his body 
to be bruised and broken and shattered and spent completely? Was there any much left of his body after the crucifixion? Was there even any blood left after they stabbed him with a spear? He gave it all. His body broken. His soul crying out, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? His soul didn't know existence apart from the Father and the Holy Ghost. He had never been apart from his life source. He himself being life. Life had never been separated from life. Soul cries out when he felt a separation. He took our separation. Are you understanding me? That was our separation from God. And he let that distance be between him and the Father. And his spirit, even though he didn't feel God's nearness, by faith he trusted his spirit into the hands of the Father. To thy hands, Lord, I commit my spirit. Father. And he breathed his last. Philippians 2.8 says, He humbled himself in obedience to God. We talked about that extensively last week. If you weren't here, go back and, and see the video on YouTube, our YouTube channel. The humility of God being born into the creation he created not only to come here and to be one of us, but to die, it says, a criminal's death on a cross. The worm farmer becoming a worm to save his worms. He paid a debt he didn't know. He became the recompense for our redemption, our ransom. And he didn't just give to those that were near. He didn't just give to Israel, and, and that kind of freaked the Israelites out a little bit. They were like, what? You're going to let the Gentiles be saved? The, you know, the, the Israelites thought they were God's chosen people, and they were in a sense that God used them as an example, but it was an example to the what? To the world. And when the fullness of time came and the fullness of God's plan began to be revealed, it was that that same Holy Ghost that would come upon the, the Israelites would come upon the Gentiles also. His life wasn't given just to those near, but to those far. To the crying little babies in Indonesia. To the old folks in Tanzania through the hurting and the bruised and the battered and offered to the rich as well, to those who have it all and those who have nothing. Every sparrow around the world, he offered his life, just like he told us to do what? To go make disciples. Then he says, not just here, but in Samaria, an area of people that they that Jews hated. I want you to get past your hatred, your lumping together of, of groups of people into categories that you don't like. Have you noticed it's easy to hate people from afar? 
because of our skin color differences, because of our economic differences, even because of our gender? Have you noticed that the devil's main tactic is to conquer by division? To make us hate people we don't even know? In our brain? I have found when I talk to people face to face, it's hard to hate anybody because they're just people. Don't matter their skin color, how much money they got in the pocket. The news today, I don't know why I'm going here, but it's telling us we all hate each other. That it's all set up for us to hate one another. But when I go to the grocery store, I don't see that going on in real life. And I think that's got to be the powers of the air that the Bible talks about. The devil using the airwaves to separate and to bring hatred where there really was none. Oh, there is some. I'm, I'm, but I believe it's more the exception. He gave all for all to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It wasn't for a select few. I also see that he gave his life and how he lived for us, not just in how he died for us. But if you read the scriptures, I don't see anywhere that it says Jesus was trying to start up a business. <laughs> that Jesus had a big bank account. That Jesus was trying to buy him a better horse. That Jesus lived his life for his comfort. I don't see I see where it says he didn't have anywhere to lay his head. I see that everything the Bible records Jesus did, it was for someone else and not himself. The only thing that you may think he did for himself is when he got alone to pray with the Father to fill himself out, up so that he might pour himself out again. He lived as a vessel unto honor. To the thing that mattered most to the father, the sparrows, the people. For God so loved the world. <laughs> he lived his life for us as an example of how we are to treat one another, how we are to see this world. I know I was fainting along the way when I met Jesus. I was really to the end of myself. and That's where most of us have to get, right? Before we're willing to accept that somebody may know better than us. That somebody else may deserve to sit on the throne of my life. I had made a mess. Man, 
The world did not make sense. The things that I had been taught in all my schooling about evolution. You know, if evolution is true, what's the point of any of this? Life did not make sense. And I was just a young man. I was 32 years old. But I was through with this, man. This, if this is it, plus I'm making a huge mess. I'm dividing my family. My wife's about to leave me because of my selfishness and my pride. I despised mine own self, who I had become. And life just kept putting that carrot out there in front of me. And I just kept trying to get it, and the devil's snatching it out in front of me. Never let me reach never finding that fulfillment that he promised. The devil's a liar. And you're not going to find your fulfillment any other place, not your job, not even your husband or wife, any other place, but letting Jesus in to your heart. And when I heard that Jesus forgives that it was my cross that he had died on, and I understood the implications of that for the first time, boy, I grabbed hold of that. And I have never been the same since. All the questions in my mind were being able to answer through this word of God, through the truth, and the truth set me free. Are you understanding? The truth will set you free, and then you begin to follow the truth. And you begin to live free. And you begin to live with purpose, on purpose. And you get up in the morning with pep in your step and a hope in your heart. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Jesus will do this for you. He will give you life and life more abundantly. He came to set us free so that we can walk on the higher places, that we can soar on wings as eagles, so that we can be champions for his army. So that we can spare other sparrows. And what greater calling than the calling that Jesus had himself. To give ourselves for others. What's he given you? What's he given you? I want you to think about it. I want you to think about where you were before you met Jesus. The direction you were going. What you would have lost if you'd have stayed on that course. Before you met Jesus. And then I want you to think. There's somebody supposed to be sitting right here. There's somebody supposed to be sitting right here this morning. Getting free. Their life radically changed like yours has been. And you know when your life got changed, it set a different course of, his, of, of the future for all your future generations if Jesus tarries. You know your children are going to serve the Lord now where they wouldn't have before. We ought to just weep over these empty chairs. We ought to just cry. We are to stop the service. We are to cry 
for these empty chairs that, that we're not filling. The great Paul Harvey, he had a story about sparrows too. He said there was this wise man in this city that everybody looked up to and they would come to him for advice and just sometimes just to hear him talk because he had such wisdom. And there was another kid in this story. It might be the same kid, I don't know. (laughs) But this kid said, I'm going to fool the wise man and show everybody how smart I am. And his plan was this. He was going to find a little sparrow that he could fit in his hand. He said, I'll put it behind my back, and I'll ask the wise man, what do I have in my hand? There's no way he could know. And and, uh, he'll be made a fool. But if, in case he does guess what I have in my hand, then I'll ask him this, is it alive or dead? And if he says it's dead... I'll let it, I'll open my hand and let it fly off and make a fool out of that wise man. But if he says it's alive, I'll crush it between my fingers before I bring it forward as dead. And so he sure did. He found him a little sparrow and he put it in and cupped it in his hand. And he went before the wise man and there was a whole bunch of people out there listening to what he had to say. And he said, wise man. If you're so wise, tell me what I have behind my back. And the wise man didn't waste any time. He says, well, it looks like according to the feathers on your jacket and on your, your pants there, you probably have a little bird of some sort. And the crowd said, ooh. He said, and the little kid gritted his teeth. He says, well, tell me, is it alive or dead? The wise man rubbed his chin. He thought. He said, well, whether that bird is dead or alive, I reckon depends on you. It's your choice. And I want you to know the choices that we make We either save sparrows and set them free, or they could die. In our hands, we have the ability to spare the sparrows around the world. And I want to talk about our missions given, because our missions giving in this church does exactly that it goes around the world into places that we will never travel never have the opportunity people we will never see and our missionaries are the most fertile soil in all the world to plant into you know whatsoever man sows that will he also reap but you got to plant in fertile soil and over the 30 years of this church's existence we have gathered some of the most fertile soil in the world to plant into these missionaries that are making the most impact we have shown you videos of churches being planted lives being changed people being baptized all these things 
babies being fed, wells being dug. It's all going on because we have in our hands the resources to make it happen, to spare the sparrows around the world. Let me, let me just lead, uh, read you. This is in the hallway back there if you want to see it for yourself, or I'll leave this out on the connect desk. I think, if I counted correctly, it's like 24 missionaries that we support. Uh, globally, we support adult and teen challenge. You know, once a year we have the teen challenge girls coming here. Uh, we support Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham's organization, because he does just that. He has put together a team that makes a difference where there's a tornado, where there's a hurricane, where there's a tsunami. They go in and they meet the needs of the people and they preach Jesus. And then we have our own Passion Works Disaster Relief. Uh, in the United States, we have six missionaries. Used to be where you didn't have missionaries in America, but they're needed today. One of those being Warrior Center in Memphis. And then we also support Zachary Bigley Ministries. Uh, you teens probably know who I'm talking about there. He's, he's making a difference in the lives of the young people, the children, and the teens in our area in a big way. In Africa, we support six different missionaries. Uh, we have one, Mike and Vail Croslow in Uganda. Bishop Roman Akwar in Uganda. Um, we have Neil and Danette Childs in the Niger Republic. We have our own hometown, Glenn Roseberry. He uh, works in Tanzania and Kenya. He's been here to preach. Um, Passion Church International, our training centers that we've opened in Uganda. And then we have Martha's Kids, run by Martha Hambra, Hamba in Uganda. Those are just in Africa. In Asia, we also have six missionaries. Samuel Andrews, which we showed a video of him uh, baptizing folks not long ago in India. Uh, we have uh, Chris and Heather Harrison. They, they minister in Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, several other places. Uh, also in Thailand, we have Charlie and Kathy Milbrock. Uh, they've been to our church many years ago and ministered great man of God. Uh, in the Philippines, we have Tito and Nelrose, uh, Sasam, Ken and Chris Sandberg in the Philippines and Indonesia, and then Sahad Anwar in Pakistan. You remember we helped him buy a building last year. The, the building next door to him was about to be sold, and they were, gonna, they were very anti-Christian. And so we helped him buy, I think it was $5,000, bought an entire building, and he's turned it into a pastor's training center right there in the middle of that Muslim nation called Pakistan. We have one in the Caribbeans. Uh, we have two in Europe, one in Great Britain and one in Germany. Uh, in South and Central America, we have one, two, uh, one in Mexico, and our own Marsha Price, who was here with us last Sunday. She is our missionary in Venezuela and Colombia. That's fertile soil, people. Lives are being changed in each one of those ministries. And we're, you know, God has given us the wisdom to help these missionaries not to think, you know, small, but to think growth, how, how to do growth, how to grow people. And that's why we're putting these uh, church planting pastors through training centers and 
and we're raising up leaders in these nations. And then they're going out. The web that we're weaving is a lot different than the web the devil was weaving. Right? It's making a difference. So we have the ability to alleviate suffering around the world. That's something we talked about recently. And you say, well, I don't have a whole lot to give or whatever. I'm telling you, the spare change that you spend on coffee can feed a kid in Uganda for a week sometimes. I'm telling you just a little bit that we think is a little bit is a lot around this world. And so there's no better place for us to invest than in our missionaries. So during this series this month on missions given, we've talked about loving like Jesus. Nicholas preached that message. We've talked about healing like Jesus. We've talked about serving like Jesus. Today we're talking about giving like Jesus. When you care for the sparrows and you can't stand to see people fainting along the way and you have compassion on the multitude. But you know what? Mission giving takes faith, doesn't it? Because you give your money and you don't see the results on this side of eternity. You know, you may see a, a video slide or something. So it's not like immediately rewarding. It's not immediate gratification. So it takes faith <clears throat> to actually believe that I'm saving up treasure in heaven. I'm saving it up where it really counts. I'm touching the heart of God. You know, in Philippians 2.8 that we read, it says Jesus did what he humbled himself. And he came and he died a criminal's death on the cross. But in Philippians 2.9, it says, therefore God, therefore. Say, what's therefore? It's therefore that God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him a name above every other name. Why? Because he humbled himself and he had compassion on the multitude. He cared about those fainting along the way. He spared the sparrows with all that was in him. He did everything that he could. One uh, passage said that he went to the lowest parts of the earth. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God. He is Lord. Does God look at your sacrifice any different? One day they're going to open the books in heaven and they're going to read off all your good works and all that you gave and all that you did to spare the sparrows. And then God's going to say, therefore. And I think we'll be amazed at what Therefore is therefore. Because we had faith to believe that we were making a difference in the world. Jesus told the story about the Good Samaritan. I know you know this story. There was an Israelite that was traveling and he got beat up and left for dead in the, in the ditch. It's not funny, but 
don't know why I left. But he's laying over there in the, in the ditch. And he's in danger of actually dying. And it says that the religious people came by, the preachers and the Levites and the Pharisees. They, all, they looked at him, sneered their lips, and then walked on the other side by. They didn't even want to get near the man. And see, that's empty religion. That's empty religion. Churches that say just uh, our, our church and no more. We don't care about the sparrows. We're all in this to exalt me. I don't want to get my robes dirty. I can't, I can't dirty myself with the multitudes. And they walk by on the other side. But Jesus said there was a Samaritan, a despised Samaritan, who, who helped the man up, put bandages on his wound, poured oil in it, helped it, let him ride his own donkey, and got him to an inn where he took care of him. And, and then when he went away, he gave money to the innkeeper so that he could continue to be cared for and promised more if needed. And Jesus said, which one of these... Fellas, do you suppose was a neighbor to the man? It's obvious, isn't it? The one who took care of him. The one who had compassion. And what did Jesus say? He said, go and do likewise. I want you to go and do likewise. Did I tell you all about that Boston preacher? <clears throat> the story continues. After he told the story about how he bought the birdcage and he opened up that narrow gate and he coaxed them to fly to their freedom. After telling of the releasing of the sparrows, he finished his story like this. He said, Jesus and the devil had engaged in negotiation. Satan had boasted how he had baited a trap in Eden's garden and caught himself a world full of people. What are you going to do with all those people in your cage, Jesus wanted to know. The devil said, I'm going to play with them and tease them, make them marry and divorce and fight and kill each other. I'm going to teach them to throw bombs on one another. I'm going to have fun with them. Jesus said, you can't have fun with them forever. When you get tired of playing, what are you going to do with them? And Satan said, damn them. They're no good anyway. Damn them. I'm going to kill them. And Jesus said, how much do you want for them? And Satan said, you can't be serious. If I sell them to you, they'll just spit on you. They'll hate you. They'll hit you and beat you. They'll hammer nails into you. They're no good. And Jesus said, how much? Satan said, all your tears and all your blood. That's the price. And Jesus took the cage and paid the price and opened the door. Could you bow your head and close your eyes? you're in here today and you feel caged you feel like the devil 
has just been twirling your cage. He's been poking at you and telling you you're no good and that you're not worth anything, that you're ugly and you can't sing. And you're shivering in the bottom of that cage. I'm telling you here today that Jesus has flung open the cage door and he is the narrow gate and he says, you come through by me. And he is coaxing you out to your freedom. To a place where you'll sing of his love forever. A place where you'll say you're awesome in this place and you'll touch your heart. Mighty God. A place where your heart will begin to soften. And all the scars will be removed. All the grave clothes that the devil has clothed you in will be removed and unwrapped. And you will begin to see your purpose, your design, and the plan that the Father has for your life. Hope will arise. And you will get up in the morning and scare the devil. And all his demons will tremble because you get up to spare the sparrows, to care about the multitudes. I don't want you to suffer any longer when the door has been opened. I just want to show you that you can be free. Come to Jesus. On the cross, he took upon him the sins of the world. He took the separation that was supposed to be ours. That which separated death from life has been bridged by Jesus, the Almighty. And he invites you to walk across today, to walk with him and in him, and to live your life through him. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Trust me. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, with every head bowed and every eye closed, as a step of faith, would you raise your hand in this place today? Amen. I see that hand. Is there another? But maybe your heart is pounding right now and you know that God is calling you with his great love. Maybe you're online today. Just lift your hands. We can't see them, but God can. And if you've lifted your hand today, and there is repentance in your heart, a wanting to turn away from the sin in your life, a wanting to turn to a new life, a new direction and forgiveness and a relationship, more importantly, a relationship with your creator and his name is Jesus. If you've made that decision today, pray with me out loud like this. Say, God, I repent of my sins and I give my life to you.
I believe that Jesus died on the cross and that you raised him from the dead that I might be raised to a new life as well. And I receive by my faith, by my trust in you, Jesus, this new life. I am yours forevermore. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.